0: Hi, my name's Joe Houghton, and this is the Plus One Podcast. So my guest today, David Price OBE, is a name well-known in educational circles around the world. And although he lives in Yorkshire now, he's a Geordie from Jarrow. Um, so it's going to be interesting to kind of hear the accent for those of you that aren't used to the, the Geordie accent and, and stuff. Um, he's written three best-selling books on education, um, and we'll we'll talk about those a little bit later on. Um, he regularly speaks and trains and facilitates um, for it seems like all kinds of different institutions all around the world. Looking at the website, David, um, Canada, India, Ireland, the UK. You were you were talking about Australia recently on LinkedIn. Um, so so welcome to the podcast and and thanks so much for sharing your time today.
1: Thank you, Joe. What what. What well, the viewers and listeners can't see is that I was 10, 15 minutes late because I was just absorbed in a piece of writing. And it sounds a terrible excuse, but sorry and apologies for being late.
0: Ah, no problem. And but I mean, isn't that isn't that just lovely that that kind of you just got lost in the writing? Because um, I mean, I'm I. I Try and do a little bit of writing as well. I mean, nowhere near your, no, your standard. But ah, um, but I mean, it's, I, I, I love that, that you just got lost in it and lost the time. That's, uh, well, it,
1: it sounds very romantic, but the, the reality <laughs> is it, I, I find it so hard to get into writing. I'm a terrible yeah. procrastinator. Uh, so that once I get started, I just have to switch off all distractions. Or yes. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be checking Twitter or doing all that kind of stuff. And it, it's just a killer for your concentration levels.
0: Yeah. So, so, so you, and that's really interesting. Cause I mean, when I'm teaching kind of my students time management and focus and all the rest of it, that's what I say. I say, you know, there is actually an off button on the phone. Um, and, and you can turn Twitter off and Facebook off and you don't have to be plugged into those feeds. So do you, do you do that? Do you shut yourself away and just absolutely have quiet? You,
1: and- yeah. I mean, right now it's, it's, it's odd because I'm working on a, and an accompanying kind of toolkit for the last book, The Power of Us. Right. Um and it I, I've not been kind of contracted to do it, although the publishers are happy to to publish it. But it it isn't because there's not a contract, there's not a deadline. So yeah. it's one of those things that I was just kind of ambling along with it, and then I thought, no, if this comes out, you know, three years after the first book, it, it's silly. It needs to come out at least within a year. So my 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 plan is that it'll it'll come out in the summer, but it won't be. Um, and, and I find this fascinating and, and my, my publishers thread are, are equally interested in this concept. You know, I mean, what is a book now? It, it, this, this toolkit will be a, a collection of writings, but it'll also have QR links. Yes. To videos. Um, and there's, there'll be as much, you know, people will hopefully, um, work through it. I mean, it, it actually doesn't work, I think, as well in, in, text i mean i love having a book in my hands but if you have to then keep scanning qr codes it actually starts to make sense you know for it to be on the screen mm. and then you can just go straight to the video that illustrates the point that you're talking about but i think that's that's the future of publishing it's going to just become uh an amalgam of media which which makes for a more uh richer learning experience i think
0: that's really interesting that you're taking that approach because I'm, I'm just about to release a book this month, my second book on photography. And I've, I've taken a similar approach to that with, with the book. I've got a lot of links in it, web links in it and stuff like that. Um, I've created a Google map of where all the photos were taken. So that, you know, you can, you can go to the Google map, click on the photo and, and it'll show you the, the, the ISO and the aperture and all the yeah. rest. Of it. And, it, and you can kind of see whether you get the same shot or and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think this multimedia thing is, is where we, we need to go, isn't it? Now,
1: well, we've been talking about it for years, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it, the kind of the technology is now commonplace. And that's, yeah. that's when you get, you know, rapid take up of, of, of innovation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I
1: mean, you know, you write.
0: Um, obviously, you've got what three books? So there was open. The power of us is the new one, isn't it? And an education yeah. forward. Um, that,
1: that, that I, I technically, I, I edited that one. Edited uh, it was a collection episode. of essays, so I, it was yeah. a collaborative effort. As as will be the the one that I'm currently working on. I'm I'm working with other people on it. Um, right. So yes. Yeah. Um. I I I, I read open. Um,
0: after The Power of Us, actually. I I read The Power of Us and I devoured it in like two evenings. I I just sat and read it cover to cover. I I found it amazing, the stories, which which we're going to come back to, I hope. But then kind of I went up on, onto Amazon and looked you up, you know, and, and there's this other book that you wrote open. And I thought 2013, eight years old. I mean, how relevant can that be now to kind of education today? But I thought, ah, sure. You know, it, I enjoyed the first one. I'll get the second one. So I did. And it was, I mean, I thought it was absolutely still completely relevant. It's kind of the, the stuff you were talking about, even eight years later.
1: It's odd, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, it's so interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, I think you're the first person I've come across who who has actually read them in reverse order, because there is a sort of, you know, in in open I talk about the way in which uh, learning was becoming democratized yeah. largely through the technology, and that the next step is is effectively what I talk about in the power of us which is once we're we're sharing more than knowledge we actually get into sharing what we make um and so i've uh, there's always been a, an assumption that people would come to the first book and then read the second i i was i'm fascinated to hear that it still feels relevant to read them in in reverse order as it was but yes you're absolutely right when i when i wrote open i thought about eighteen months, probably, and then it'll be out of date. Yeah. Um, and yet I, I, I still get people who are coming across it for the first time and and getting something out of it, and that's that's great. Absolutely, yeah.
0: So, so if that's a if that's a sequence, kind of, you know, open took you to the power of us. What's what's the next step? in your writing where, where are you going to go for the next one
1: <laughs> well th- this this was not my idea i have to say this was the publishers i i work with mm-hmm. just a wonderful editor called claire board and okay. a, 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 an editor is just worth a weight in gold uh, and right. I've, I've worked with a number of editors in the past and yeah. it's you know what it's like when you're writing you, you become very protective and, and and pretty sensitive I guess yeah. ab- about criticism but the reality is every single one of my first drafts and I, I keep them all I keep all the drafts and when mm. I go back to read them I just think oh god that was terrible <laughs> what was I thinking you know I, I was trying to make jokes and they just weren't landing and mm. and I, I guess I, I I'm, I'm a classic kind of, you know, self-taught writer. I, yeah. If, if there's such a thing as the way, the, the, the handbook for writing, I'd never come across it. And, and I guess most people are, are, are like that. But, but the reality is that it, it, it's a very slow and laborious process. You know, I'm in awe of these um, fiction authors who, you know, they'll write 5,000 words in a day, every day. I just think the discipline that that requires and and the confidence in your writing to do that. So for me, it's been a case of just get the first draft done, hope that there's sufficient in there that, you know, my, my agent can get somebody interested and that I get uh, an editor who, who understands that, you know, I, I'm, I'm absolutely open to criticism. I think you just have to be, you know, you can't be defensive about that. And, In in the case of The Power of Us, um, Claire kind of said to me, you know, I I already knew that because of the pandemic that the book, which was actually finished in February of last year, would have to be rewritten. It was, you know, it was just too big an event. It would be like writing uh, a book in 1917 and not mentioning the First World War. You just Mm -hmm. can't. So... um, Claire, the editor, said, We have a, a deadline of May because we want to get this book out yeah. in August. So that was perfect. That's exactly what I needed. And I, I, it took me three weeks of just writing, you know, 14 hours a day and being absolutely ruthless. Because if you're going to then add a whole other part of the book, yeah. then you've got to get rid of something. And, and in the event, what I got rid of was the stuff that I was. I guess it was most personal to me because I, I started the book off talking about some of the health issues. Because within the, this community of people who who are finding their own solutions um, are the, the 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 citizen scientists, and and I've I've got to know some of these people really well mm. because of my own health I've, yeah. I've had two different forms of cancer, and so working through that was really, I thought, a, a sensible place to start. It was also very dramatic. You know, I was in intensive care and I got sepsis and it was all and I thought, oh yeah, that's that that'll grab the the reader straight away. And then she kind of said, I think that's got to go. And and you've got to have a another way to start the book. Yeah. Which which relates to the pandemic. And that what, it just threw me. And I thought, oh God, so how am I going to start this book? Yeah. And 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 so, you know, when once that's always the hardest part, once you get into it with the flow of a book, I always feel if you get the first ten pages and you feel like you've kind of got the right tone of voice and you've got the rhythm, it starts to write itself. And then when someone says, you know, you really need a, a different start, it, it sort of threw me. But when I look back on it now, the 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 start that I got in, thank God with you know, I I I came across two young uh, boys, really, seventeen-year-olds in different parts of the world, made contact with them. They've they've done remarkable things in terms of COVID tracking apps, where the government, uh, the Korean government and the uh, American government were signally failing to do. And it just seemed to be such a a powerful image to start with. You know that these seventeen-year-olds working around the clock in three days did what their governments failed to do in more than three months. Um and unfortunately and Claire just said, "Yep, yeah, that's that's the start." And and then it it became a different book altogether. Mm. Oh, I but mean, a
0: it's a writing nightmare, that isn't it? To to have your hook taken away, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah, because it sets the whole tone, doesn't it? And and you're you're off to the races. Oh wow! Okay. But yeah, I mean, isn't isn't that fascinating that that you came up with that which is so of the moment um you know 17 year olds so they're young they're connected they they're they're fearless they don't yeah. know that they can't so they do and i mean that's just the whole message isn't it
1: <clears throat> and, and and that and that's sorry cuz i completely lost my track you asked me what's the what's the next book you see yeah in the what's the next bit yeah and, and it was clear the the editor she said well, you know we do want you to to sign a two book deal and i said oh god I have to write another one," and she said. "Yeah, she said, well, isn't it obvious that you have to write another one?" I said, "No, what, what, what?" And she says, "These amazing young people that you feature in the book, you—the you, next book has to be about them and how we create the the kind of education that's going to enable them to make all of these changes. You know that 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 absolutely need to happen." And that's, that's got to start in our education system. It's no good waiting until, you know, they've gone through university as, as these two young men have done, you know, that have started with Ryan and, and Abby Shipman. They've, they've hated their, their education and kind of just endured it. And now they feel like they're doing something of importance and they are. But my argument is that we shouldn't have to wait until, you know, our education, our formal education over. Before we start changing the world, so yeah that's the next book's going to be about that
0: okay why education I mean if, if we rewind to when you were seventeen you know did, were you going through school thinking I'm going to become a, an educator and a writer, and you know this is what I want to do with my life or, or did you want to be a train driver or a,
1: a, well you know? first first of all Joe, when I was seventeen I wasn't at school because I left when I was sixteen right. The earliest time that you could leave school, then I went to a Catholic grammar school where they beat Latin into you on a daily basis. Now yeah. I mean, seriously, they, our Latin teacher had this leather strap. It used to terrify me, uh, and he and he literally, if you got things wrong, you would yeah. get the strap. Um, you know, it, it's 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 a very familiar picture in, in Irish um, uh, history, yeah. of course, the brothers, um, and, and it was like that. It was it was a very traditional. Um, Catholic, uh, school. I, 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 and as a result, I hated it because I was always the kind of person who I, I was a kind of autodidact anyway. At that time, I was, um, teaching myself how to, how to b- become a musician, um, yeah. how to, how to write songs, how to read music. Although I was very poor at that. I preferred just kind of, you know, being in bands and, and, yeah. and spontaneously making music. Although, there is a technique. It, it. My whole open uh, was all about how the process of informal learning works, um, mm. because that's that's the kind of driver now. It seems to me, why why education? Because I I, I just felt that um, my experience, which was when I walked out of that door, and I, I, I'll tell you a little story. When when I walked out of the door of the school, I I, I had one thing under my arm and it was a it was a um a plant holder which i did in woodwork i was considered not Mm -hmm. smart enough to do uh o-levels with GCSEs now so the equivalent then for kids in you know grammar schools was supposed to be for the brightest of the bright and if you were like me um and struggling uh, academically, then you you got shunted off into the workshop, basically. And I was terrible. I mean, I've always been useless. Asked my wife about DIY, and it, it's just a litany of <laughs> disasters. But I managed to somehow put this thing together. And I remember I, I lived about 200 yards away from the school, and I remember walking home, giving this to my mother and saying, there you are, that's what my education has done for me. And And she said, is that it And i said yeah that's that's it that's all i'm going to bring back and i said i'm never going back there again i i had done with education i didn't want anything more to do with it fast forward 30 odd years yeah and i was i was just i'd just become a freelance consultant so 2001 um, and dear friend and mentor ken robinson had had got me a job and it was a job in South Tyneside, um, a part of a team where we were looking to essentially revitalize the area that I grew up in. So it was partly about uh, schools. Will also was doing something on architecture. There was a whole team. And and Ken got me this gig to, to, to review education. And because I had a background in music, I remember my father saying, yeah. So, is why did they want music? I said, no, no, it's not about music, Dad. It's just about education. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, what the hell do you know about geography? <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, not a lot, actually. And But I went in and one of the schools I had to visit was my old grammar school. Oh, wonderful. I, yeah, it gets worse. I, I, they'd given me an office and I thought I was meeting the head teacher in the office. So I thought, great, I don't have to go to the school. <sighs> then I realised I wasn't. I was actually supposed to be at the school. So just like you, I was late. But unlike you, I wasn't terrified at the prospect of being late in school, in trouble with the headmaster. And I remember he'd gone down to the office by now. So we'd swapped over. He was furious. I was waiting for him to come back and I thought, oh, God, it's just like it was when I was 16. I'm sitting outside the, the headmaster's yeah. study. And I looked across Joe, and there were these same bloody plant holders yeah. that they were still making 30 odd years after I left. And I thought, oh, I don't feel so bad now. If if that's the level of innovation that's going on in this school. And and frankly, it, it hadn't it hadn't really changed. Yeah. Um and and so I, I just got to the point where, you know when you have kids and when they go through the exact same experience that you did as as reluctant as I was to work in education it was just this gravitational pull i just kept thinking to myself this is wrong it needs fixing and and i i, I can't really fix it for my two sons they they hated school just like i did but i thought you've got to try and do something it's no good just complaining about the education system get in there and do what you can to change it and that's been the story of the last 40 years i guess and so i mean that
0: your career seems to be working almost on education rather than necessarily working in education you, you do work you're an educator and you teach and you you lecture and you you facilitate and do all that stuff but you 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 have this other level don't you i mean most people work in education and and you know i teach project management or hmm. you know business or whatever it is you do that i mean you've taught music and you've taught other things and you still do but you yeah. also you have this systemic holistic view and and kind of grow to to move the dial to change things and that's yeah. that seems to be the difference between perhaps you and if you like a, a classic teacher who who is sitting in the system but yeah. not changing the system or trying well
1: to. yes and and for a long time i was that teacher you know and i i didn't i didn't actually teach in in high schools but i taught pretty much everywhere else so i started off in community education, and I loved that mm. um, i I did adult education, I loved that, um, and I ended up in further education, not through any great desire, but effectively what happened uh, in in Manchester, which is where I was working at the time. Um, we had this amazing uh, it was unique when I think about it I, I worked in this I, I worked as a community musician, was one of them. You know, I would, I would just work with whoever came through the door and we'd, we'd make music. I'd get them to write their own music. I, I had my own studio. It was just fantastic. We had this theater. There was a writer in residence. There was a, a director in residence. It was absolutely incredible. One of those life changing experiences. And then Maggie Thatcher's poll tax meant that. <clears throat> Everywhere in the UK, councils were just hacked to pieces in terms of their budgets. Yeah. So effectively, they said, we're going to have to close that down and you're going to be made redundant. And someone said to me, well, it was my line manager, um, said, there's a, there's a job going as a senior lecturer in a further education college. I think you should go for it. And I was so naive, Joe. I said to him, what's a lecturer? Yes. You know, I am really mended. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, don't worry, you'll pick it up. And and I I got it, and it was it was remarkable. My my musical hero is a guy called Stephen Sondheim. Great musical theatre. Oh writer. yeah, yeah. And he he wrote a song called "I'm Still Here," and there's a line in it which is it's very clever wordplay, and he says, uh, "Then you career from career to career," mm-hmm. and and that has been my story. Uh, none of it was planned. So how how did I end up working systemically? It was because uh, I I got this job as a senior lecturer. So I I started having to manage people. I'd never done that before. Um, I found it fascinating. Um, And then something else just happened to come along, which, which only I could have gotten this job because Paul McCartney, the oh, this is art. Liverpool, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So he was setting up uh, a, a performing arts college in, in, in Liverpool, in his old high school, the Mechanics Institute in Liverpool. First person to speak there was Charles Dickens. Amazing history. Um And and he wanted someone who, who didn't have the classic academic background. And suddenly all those years of playing in worker men's clubs and, you know, playing piano and down in County Clare, um, it, they all, I thought, oh, it had a purpose because he he <laughs> said to me, you know, oh, I, I see you've actually been a musician. I said, yeah. Um, and, and we hit it off and I got the job. So again, you know, I, I, I didn't plan for any of that to happen. And I was very happy there for a while. And then I just realized, you know, I'm not an institutional kind of guy. But by then I I was in a position of relative seniority and I was effectively the dean of this college. I had a hundred brilliant, creative academic people to manage. They were an absolute nightmare to manage. You know, I used to start meetings by saying, okay, let's just get one thing clear here. We're not curing cancer. Okay. We're getting kids up on stage so they can show off. That's basically what we do. So mm-hmm. let's not let's not treat it as though our lives depend upon it. Total waste of time. Within two minutes, they will be, <laughs> you know, vehemently arguing with one another. And I loved them. I, they were just so creative. But I also knew that, you know, we were in this little hermetically sealed bubble. Yes. As as great as the performing arts are and were, and as important as they were to a city like Liverpool. What was what was even more important was that, you know hundreds of thousands of young people were coming out without a, an education that, that was going to serve them well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started thinking, yeah, I, I I need to try and do something which is about innovation. I, that's, I didn't think of it as innovation at the time, but it just so happened that one of the, the main contracts that I got, and again, I just fell into it, was with the Paul Hamlin Foundation who wanted to... To bring a sense of innovation to music education. That was a project called Musical Futures, and it did astonishingly well. It's still around the world. It, it you know, without boasting, because I I I didn't I, I was no longer associated with it. I handed it on to this brilliant woman called Abigail DeMori who built it into this global movement for um for informal music making in school. And it's it's been um it was so successful that essentially the foundation then said to me, is this just about music? And I said, no, no, it's not about music. It's, it's about how we learn. And they said, well, let's, let's do another project. And so we did something called Learning Futures, which was about how to bring innovation in order to enhance uh, student engagement. That was, that was my big thing. And, and always has been, you know, why are so many, you know when, when you do, when you do a kind of yardstick of students being engaged around the world it's it you could pretty much predict that about thirty percent of students will consider themselves to be engaged in the learning. Great, I was not one of them. Thirty percent are they're neither engaged nor disengaged; they're just kind of getting along with it. Australians call them radiator kids. I said to them, what, what do you mean, radiator kids? I said, well, you know, they're in the room, they keep it warm, but they're not doing anything else. It's, it's a horrible way to describe, uh, eight years of your life. Uh, and then the other third are those who are actively disengaged. And, and, and that was me. And there, but for the grace of God, you know, I, I could have ended up, you know, in all kinds of trouble. Um, so, so I just felt that this, the, the key it seemed to me towards, Transforming the education system was and still is to get kids really engaged in the learning. And my, the lesson that I had, well, there was hundreds of lessons. One, one was it's relatively easy to be radical and innovative when you're dealing with a subject like music, because largely it's seen as it's not core. Cool. Kids are enjoying themselves. Off you go. Do what you like. Apply that deliberacy and numeracy. And whoa, that's very different. So once you start encouraging schools to be much more radical about about core subjects, then you come up against the system. You come up against the you know the high stakes accountability schools that say you know I'd love to do what you're talking about, but we can't because we've got Ofsted crawling all over us. We we could get closed down. So I realised you know that that you, you can't you can't just if if you because at that point i was working with a, a group of people called the innovation unit in london they were formerly part of government but then became independent and and their thing was to to change the education system and so all i was doing for a while was working kind of strategically top down as it were yes. and it and you know, it's a frustrating experience, put it that way. You can write your pamphlets. You can take people to to great examples of learning and go, see, it's, it's possible you could do this. But at the end of the day, you're not in their shoes. You know, ultimately, you're going to write the report and then you just hope that some of it sticks. And it's been wonderful to see, even in that difficult project, which is called Learning Futures, that some some great things happened as a result of it. The ripples just kind of go out. But... I, I, about eight years ago, I thought, you know, I, I, this is going to drive me nuts. I, I, I'd rather just go into a single school and and train them in something which which just happened to be project based learning. But I've I've done training in lots of, you know, design thinking and lots of different ways of, of approaching education, and it's enormously satisfying to go in and spend you know a week in a school, and, and by the end of it you know that that school has changed. But life's too short, you know. If we, if we change the education system one school at a time, we're all going to be dead. So I, in my own way of kind of living with this is to, is to work both ends at the same time. And it just, it so happens now that in the UK, you know, the idea of radical innovation in education, it's just laughable, you know, because we've got such a conservative government um, so, so I do it through books, you know, and I, I, I hope to influence leaders through books that, that, that will bring change. But I also continue to go in, which is how I come to meet you and mm-hmm. work with, with educators, um, on really practical, getting your hands dirty, learning by doing. And, and I find that enormously satisfying and, and a lot less lonely than sitting in a room writing. Well, indeed. <laughs> Because there is that, isn't there? I mean, it's one thing to write books and and you know
0: be be influencing from the top down. It's quite another thing to be in a classroom with people who are either learners or educators who want to teach better. And I mean that, as you said, that's where we met with the Innovation Academy at UCD. How did you how did you get roped into that? <laughs>
1: um, I, I forget now. I think uh, Susie Jarvis, yeah, who set yeah. The, the academy up. She'd read open and um, she liked it and thought, yeah, we'll get this guy. Didn't really know. I mean, the, the thing I loved about the Innovation Academy was it challenged everything. Um, oh, sorry. I'm just looking out the window. We have these red kites here. Have so, you? Do you know the bird, the red I kites? Do, the big, yeah, the hawks. Yeah. yeah Beautiful. They're uh, There's This one, it hasn't flapped its wings. For, I'm fascinated. It's, it's gone like half a mile and it hasn't yet <laughs> flapped its wings. Sorry. Um, so Susie said, um, "Yeah, come over and we'll do a fireside chat." And I thought, I I am anally overprepared. I I overprep everything, so this just felt really scary. And I just thought, "What are you going to talk about?" Oh, we'll think of something. Yeah. And it was it was it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it, and I I loved being confronted about that level of over-prepping that I do. Now, as it's gone on, I, I think I've had some influence in helping some of those uh, approaches become a little bit more codified. Um, and, and that's been great. We've found a kind of meeting in the middle, which, is, which has been terrific. But I, I love the programme. I love the enthusiasm that these educators bring um, because they're in the system, you know, they're having to do the day job. And, and especially over the past couple of years, that's been really hard for educators everywhere. And I just have to tone it down, you know, because it's, it's easy for me to say, you know, you're working in the system. The system's all wrong. You need to change this. Mm. They're just like, you know, are we socially distancing the kids? Is it, is it safe to, co- I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. So, and of course it's been the same for me. Uh, you know, I've gone from. Being in a room with people yes. to to this, you know, doing doing webinars and okay, you know, I mean everybody's adapted and it's been great and and you know I had to like everybody else had to effectively turn the office into a TV studio and do all that, but it's not the same and and there is a school, um, a private independent school down south in in uh, near Brighton, and they wanted me to come in. I've, I've done some work with them before on, around innovation, and they wanted me to come in a year ago and uh and then i said well i can't can i and, and they said no i said well we can do it on a webinar no we don't want that we'll 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 fix up another date in six months and god love them the date just kept being pushed back yeah but but i'm supposed to be going in there at the end of august and i can't wait i i would crawl over broken glass to be in a room now with with educators <laughs> it's, it's yeah so-
0: it's crazy isn't it yeah i mean i in September last year, I got to see my students at Smurfit, um, the new master's intake for one day. I did one session, one intake session with them, and they were all in this huge lecture theater, six feet apart from each other, wearing masks and stuff like that. And we did a two hour session, um, split with a kind of 20 minute break in the middle because we couldn't be in the same room for more than an hour. And that's the, that's the only time I've seen my students this whole year. And I'm going in tomorrow because the lockdown has just been released in in Ireland so that we can at least now travel more than five kilometres. And I'm going in tomorrow to to do headshots for them because, you know, I do photography as well. And and I always do headshots for all my students. And I've been saying to them all year, like, I, I, you know, I've not even yeah. been able to see you. So we're going to we're going we're gonna to meet up on the front lawn of the college and, and do headshots. Kind oh, of brilliant. Basically. But I'm so looking forward to it. You know but that'll probably be the longest car journey i've done in six months wow and it's like 20 minutes to college <clears throat> you know Amazing. it's been it's been round the corner to little and back has been has yeah. been the limit of it recently hasn't it so yeah, it's it's just it's yeah the, the distance the 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 separation has been very difficult hasn't it it's um,
1: well and and the disruption you know and it, it's me and my wife do the project-based learning training together and you know the rhythm of our year has always been the first three months we're in australia and we've always we build up a a a, a network of schools that we work with and they're fantastic you know and you effectively send out an email and say we're coming over shall we work with you and 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 we've got like eight 12 weeks of work And, and we love it and, and of course that's not happened now for two, two years. And it's, it's kind of, you know, the whole rhythm of your year has been disrupted. Mm. And, and so what, you know, uh, I never got sick. Um, I'm yeah. now fully vaccinated. So I count myself lucky. Um, yeah. you know, people are far worse off than, than I am. And, you know, at my age, I'm kind of at, at the tail end of the career. I look at young people now, uh, who are, you know, it's, uh, disproportionately suffering as a result of the, the 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 kind of economic fallout of the the coronavirus, and it's going to be really hard for them. Which you know brings us back to they've got to have skills that are that yeah. are that have currency, and and right now our education systems are still not providing them with those skills, and and teachers know it, you know, the, the principals and and head teachers know it, but but they just their hands are tied. I sometimes think that they, there's a bit of Stockholm syndrome at work. You know, they they, they feel like they can't do things uh, when they actually have a lot more power and autonomy than 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 they think they have. But you know, if you spend 25 years being you know hit around the head, when it stops, you're going to kind of go, "Is it okay? Yeah, can I move?" Yeah. And I, I feel like that's that's where schools are at now, and they're. The pandemic's been really interesting, I think, because I see not just in this country, I've seen this now in several countries around the world, is that it's kind of emboldened uh, school leaders a bit more, that, that they say, no, we're not, we're not going to you know, drill and kill our kids to catch up on lost learning. You know, the language of it, yeah. I just find reprehensible that we talk about lost learning. And, and, and a lot of them are just saying, we're, we're, we're going to look after these kids first. We're going to make sure that they're OK. Because they've they've had a hell of a time. And and I don't care what you're saying. I'm not going to put them through tests when they all come back, you know. So I, I do think that it, it has emboldened them. Whether we get the change, you know, at the start of the pandemic, I, I took part in so many webinars around, you know, let's not go back to normal when mm-hmm. this is all over. And as time has gone on, I kind of fear that we, we probably will. You know, and, and some of that's exhaustion. Some of that's just a desire to, to, to have the old life back. Um, and, and it, it frustrates me. You know, I'll be honest, because I just think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for, for real change. And, and there will be changes. Obviously, We're, we'll have to rethink how we design schools. I think the idea of blended learning, you know, the argument's won now. We've seen that it, it works. You know, it's not great. But but blending is is okay um so I think we'll 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 see more commonplace use of technology but you know the the real opportunity is for a root and branch review of what what's the purpose of education here what is it that we're trying to do, and I feel like that that moment is in danger of being missed
0: yeah yeah i mean I, 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 I play a video that that's back from Uh, early early 20s um by um paul welsh paul wesh i think his name is an american educator and he said we we need to move students from being um you know knowledgeable Mm. to being knowledge able Mm. and you know and, and that's the case really isn't it they don't need to learn kind of the times tables now they need to know where the times tables are to be found and how to connect they do need to learn times tables but the 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 bits of knowledge are less important as how you connect them and how you access them and the the problem-based learning scenario-based learning experiential learning stuff I mean my, my, my students tell me at the end of the master's in project management program I mean, one, one, one thing we put them through is this, this charity assignment. And we, we say, right, teams of four or five, find a charity, engage with it for the next 12 weeks, do some kind of either fundraisers or awareness raises or whatever, document your process and, and, you know, treat it as a real project. So they get all the project management learnings and stuff, but they're also dealing with the messy stuff, you know, of because it's a charity, you know, things take longer. And people aren't as focused, and and things go wrong. Um, but they also get connected, and they start to care. And by the end of that twelve fourteen weeks, that that is the one. And when I talk to students five ten years out of the program, and I say, "What do you remember about the program?" Oh, do you remember that charity project? That was brilliant. Yeah, and it, it's the it's the practice,
1: isn't it? It's the practice based learning. Yeah, and, and the dots. in in the power of us, you know, I. I- even though the book is ostensibly not specifically about education, there there is a chapter um, in there which which I looked at how how these principles of kind of user innovation play out in 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 the field of education. And so yeah. I, I you know I visited some schools that I'm already very familiar with, but I also visited some new schools. And one of them was the Liga Leadership Academy in in uh, Cambodia in Phnom Penh. And it is, it's probably the most remarkable school I've ever seen. And I was lucky enough to, to spend a week there. And, you know, the school, Jeff Holt, one of the, the two, um, founders of the school talks about, um, how we, we tend to use the word scaffold in terms of learning. We talk about how we need to scaffold learning. You know, you, you learn this bit of knowledge and then you can build on top of that. Mm. He believes that what they're about is is about scaffolding experiences so when you first start off at that school and it's a kind of senior high school um you you may have come from uh, the most remote village in cambodia where yeah. you couldn't speak a word of english until the, the day you walked through the door and yet within 6 months because all of the tuition is in english you you 're absolutely fluent in English, right. but more than that, within six months you've gone out and you've interviewed somebody about their personal history. It might have been about the killing fields and the Khmer Rouge yeah. within a year, you've put that knowledge to, in into writing Cambodia's first economics textbook, which is now in every school in Cambodia you've done that as a student within two years. You've then, and I saw when I was there, I saw these kids getting a check from a local um, early year centre, who invited these fifteen and sixteen year olds to come in and redesign the curriculum for this early year centre based on their experience in LIGA. and and there they were, curriculum designers, and and working just like your students were yeah. on a real life project with all the, the tensions that go with that, and doing an amazing job and getting paid for it, you know, and and. This is a school that says to its students every year, you at the end of each year, you have to write an essay saying, How have I changed Cambodia this year? Because they are. They're they're not waiting until they're out of school before yeah. they change Cambodia. They're working on government-led projects. They're doing marine conservation projects. They're launching Cambodia's first ever bloody satellite. You know, yeah. it's just astonishing. And and this kind of tyranny of low expectations that we have with kids. You know, I, I sometimes when I when I tell people about these schools, they kind of go, "Oh well, yeah, you know, they are handpicked schools. We could never do that. Our kids yeah. couldn't do that. It's nonsense." They, the more responsibility, the more challenge you give kids, the 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 higher they rise to that challenge. We just don't do it enough.
0: That's that's. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? But though the, but I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's almost resetting educators' expectations about what they can ask of those that they are teaching. And I mean, it doesn't just have to be a boring curriculum, you know, this slide deck and these slides and these bullet
1: points and stuff, does it? No, because I think, Joe, the the thing that has changed, the reason why I, I, I wrote open was because I... I saw what my kids were doing. They were kind of adolescents at the time. And it was like a whole of the world.
0: Yeah. I had no right.
1: idea. Like when, when my elder son was about fifteen, I couldn't get him out of bed in the morning. Well, you know, big surprise. All 15-year-olds are like that. But eventually I, he told me what why, why he was so nocoleptic in the mornings. And it was because he was taking part in um internet radio station uh panel discussions uh around libertarian politics he was wow. fascinated by libertarian politics yeah. and because they were based in america they were happening at you know two or three in the morning over here and i said to him, well couldn't you that's great but couldn't you just record it and listen to it in the morning?" he said no you don't understand i'm not listening to it i'm i'm a panelist yeah and i just thought wow what mm-hmm. i had no idea and i said does your school know about this and he laughed and said, "Good, no, of course not." And I don't want them to know, and that's that's what I, has changed, and that's why I think the, the the rate of change in education is now in danger of falling so far behind what our young people are doing, so that you know when I write this next book, it's 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 about going to see the, these amazing young people who who now for some reason. You know, word seems to have gotten around that I'm the guy who champions these young change makers, And so a lot of the time I don't even have to look for them. They, they kind of get sent to me. And one yeah. such happened uh, shortly after The Power of Us was, was published. And I forget who told me about it. But somebody said, oh, you need to talk to Sophia Leal. And I said, who's she? What's she doing? And they sent me this video. And Sophia is, she's now 16, so she's come at the end of high school. She's probably going to go to university. Incredibly bright, you know, Colombian, but absolutely fluent in English. Um, And her school project was to design something that would be of use to people in in an emergency. And she's come up with this amazing design. It's a carbon fiber igloo. She calls it an igloo. It's, It's New igloo and, right. and it kind of opens up as a, as a fan shaped thing. So it, if the weather's okay, you can peel the roof back and you can house a family. And it's extremely lightweight. It's extremely portable. It's cheap to manufacture. And it's perfect, of course, in for earthquakes or, you know, natural disasters. Um, and she's taken it to the UN and this week she'd ended it in a, a university innovation uh, competition for the whole of Argent uh, of Colombia and she won. <laughs> she's f- 15 year old and she's now set up a foundation. She's doing the whole Kickstarter thing now to get people's donations so that she can get it, you know, off the prototype and, and into production. Will you send he me just, a link to it? I'll put a link in the sure, show notes as well. Because sure. uh, yeah, that would be brilliant. But 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 my point, Joe, is that you know there was a time when when I would meet these kids and just think wow, they're amazing, but they're what Nelson Gonzalez used to call the beautiful exceptions. Mm. But that's not the case any longer. You know, because these young people are now globally connected in ways that, you know, my generation just can't comprehend. They are are entering into kind of socially purposeful uh, projects, uh, you know, at, at, at distance and... And they're just getting on with it. And they're doing it largely outside of their school. Now, Sophia happened to go to a school that, that believed in project-based learning and, and, you know, in putting students into the real world. But but a lot of the time, they're doing it outside of that. Now, the 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 threat, I think, of educators is that's going on at speed now. Uh, and that networking isn't going to slow down. You know, kids like Ryan and, and Abby who, you know, Avi got Webby Person of the Year for his COVID tracking app. Hmm. And and Anthony Fauci presented him with it, you know, because Anthony Fauci says it's the most authoritative COVID tracking website in the world. He got Webby Person of the Year, which is like the Oscars for web designers. And he said to me, I've got a grade point average of 1.7. No university will have me. And I said to him, Avi, you don't want to go to any university that's going to look at your 1.7 and rate it higher than the fact that you've, you know, changed America. Mm. So that, that, to me, is the dilemma that we've got now as educators. They're just going to go ahead and do this, these young entrepreneurs. They're not doing it for money. Avi turned down $8 million for his website. He said, no, because you'll put advertising on it. You'll do all sorts. That's not what it's for. Same thing with Ryan in Korea. He got offered a fortune for it. They're not driven by money; they want to make the world a better place and and my God, we should be helping them do that, yeah. and we can either do it in our schools or they can do it in spite of us so if if there if there was a secondary school teacher
0: listening to this podcast and thinking, "Oh that's all very well, but I can't do this what what can they how can they make that first step what give them give them something to move yeah. them forward
1: so they don't have to be the big, huge, you know, launching a satellite in Cambodia or, or creating, you know, emergency housing in Colombia. It, I, I always show teachers a, a great video. You've probably seen it. It's the equivalent of a kind of viral uh, education video. And it's, it's a guy called Ron Berger and it's called Lawson's Butterfly. And it's the story of what, it, it, how a kid, by doing multiple drafts, which, of course, we, we never do in schools, it tends to be the first draft, gets marked. It gets yeah. thrown in the bin. And then you move on to the next thing. Well, this kid does six drafts of this scientific drawing of a butterfly. And, and it's an amazing thing to see, to see kids offering critique, which is, you know, standard art school practice, but, but not, not uh, in kindergarten. And, you know, these kids are being really kind and generous about offering the critique, but they're making this drawing better and better. And by the sixth draft, it is phenomenal. But the point that is missing from that video is that Austin, this was a three-week project in a school, and Austin's drawing was on the back of a postcard, a series of postcards that that school did for the local conservation centre around endangered species. Now, every school has those kinds of places in the community. So instead of, you know doing the science project or or doing the science learning why not reach out to your local council ask them what kind of issues they're dealing with and and can you be involved yeah you know every school has
0: green initiatives and sustainability initiatives and green flag and all this kind of stuff these days don't
1: they so it's just tying that into something real and and this school that i work with in sydney i've worked with them now for Nine years, and we started off and they did pro- initially project baseline was the first thing that they did now they 've developed all kinds of wonderful community initiatives uh, they 've got adults learning alongside kids they 're just doing some amazing things, but last year they did a project um, which which was fantastic and it was about an endangered species it was about this dragonfly which is is only found in this area of Sydney, and it's it's a fairly run-down uh, area of Sydney, probably the, the, the only deprived area in, in, in the area. And it's it's full of um, migrant families. It's a very rich, ethnically diverse place. Anyway, they decided that they wanted to do something, and they reached out to their local council, who, it just so happened, had somebody, and that was his thing. His thing was looking after this dragonfly. And they rang him up and they said, We want to do a project around this dragonfly and raising people's awareness of it. Would you would you come in and talk? He said, Yes, absolutely. Couldn't wait to get out of the office. You know, these people, if you ask them, they'll come. They'll come. You know, but what do we do? We tend to get, you know, the talk and visit from the local Bobby, you know, or the guard, and they come and, you know, it's it's not built into any kind of Initiative or project. Mm. And, and, and that's the extent of the kind of adult world connections. Seymour Sarason, great American educator and writer. He once said, the best way to prepare our kids for the world beyond school is to put them in the world beyond school as soon as possible and as often as possible. And, and, and it's, it's, it's easy to do. And so, you know, I, that's, that's what I'd be saying to teachers is to think about how you, can, how you can genuinely answer the question that every kid asks. And by the way, I think has every justification in asking, which is so odd, yeah. you know? So you've taught me this piece of knowledge. So, so what am I going to do with it? And, and I think we have to be able to answer the question and, and, and we have to be able to answer it well, not just because it's on the test in six weeks' time. That's not good enough. And and so I think that's, it it's by thinking like that, how can we tap into, because I don't know about you, Joe, but I look at young people now and I just, I'm in awe of their oh, moral yeah. and ethical compass. You know, the BBC is running this documentary currently about Greta Thunberg and it breaks my heart looking at it because I see her and, you know, she's had this year out of school where she's been going around, you know, banging her head against a brick wall, trying to get these people, being humiliated on social media, mm. you know, being absolutely ridiculed by Putin and Trump and all these world leaders. And at the end of the day, she's a 17-year-old kid, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and as she says, she shouldn't have to do this. But, but I look at those kids and I just think, you know, when the, the, her Friday strike went global and it became the second biggest public protest. By the way, sorry, no, it became the biggest public protest. The second biggest was the March for Our Lives kids in Florida. So the two largest public demonstrations the world has ever seen were organised by school kids. Don't tell me that they're happy filling in worksheets when they can do that. But the fact that they did it, and we we had school leaders and politicians in this country saying, your future is more important. You can't take a Friday off to go out in the streets and protest. And the kids were saying, "My future means jack shit because if we don't do something about the environment, there isn't going there to be a be future. future." Yeah, and they, they they couldn't see that. You know, they were trotting out the same ridiculous line like, "Whose education is going to get ruined because you took a couple of Fridays off?" Nobody. Mm. It, it, that's that's not. I know people who take the kids around the world for six months, and the kids learn far more than they would have done in school. So it's not so great what you're offering on a Friday, that these kids can, can afford to pass it up. So why not tap, tap into that? that they, they come with all of that burning intensity within them. So why not tap into the power of that and redesign your curriculum so that they feel they are doing something that's socially purposeful? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, Sorry, I, I feel, I feel I, like we I, could. I've been to, off on a rant. Oh, yeah,
0: that's <laughs> great. I love it when you go off on a rant. It's fantastic. I feel like we could go on all day, but I know I can't keep you all day because you you want to get back to your writing and you. And stuff. But I mean, that that's fabulous, and I, I think that's a really good plus one to kind of to to give people that that you know connect with your local community, and connect with something real outside the school or outside the college. And I mean, that's what I try and do in my kind of programs as well. And and yeah. it works every single time. It's always challenging as a teacher because you kind of you're, you're outside your comfort zone a little bit, aren't you? Because you're putting them out there into that messy real world, and things could go wrong, and things you know aren't kind of like
1: in a box. But they're not in a box. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. Uh, and and when you said at the start of this that you wanted me to think about the plus one, uh, that actually wasn't going to be my Well, I think you are. It's it, it, it's a good enough one. But I would also urge people, my, my, the plus one that I immediately thought of when you yeah. said it is, is the motto of what I think are some of the best schools currently in the UK. And they're called XP, XP Trust. Uh, I, I featured them in the book. And their school motto is this, above all, compassion. And I, I just think right now that is so important. Mm. So yes, get out in the world, change it. it there's a lot of it needs changing. But but let's do it with compassion. And and I just think right now, that's the single biggest thing that schools need. Compassion for the students, compassion for the parents and compassion for the community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be OK not to be OK and particularly at the moment. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah there's a lot of hurt out there after this last year or two, isn't there? It's, sure um, is. Yeah, isn't that a great place to stop? Thank you so much for your time today. Um, You're welcome, I, I'll too. put your website and books and things up on the show notes and stuff. Is is there any last kind of call to action you'd like to share with everybody?
1: Oh, I think I've. I've <laughs> it. It's been one long call to action. <laughs> it it, it
0: kind of has, hasn't it? Yeah. So that's fantastic. No, I mean that's been really valuable. I think, David. So thank you so much for for giving us the time today.
1: Lovely. I'll I'll send you some of the links to the things I've talked about you.
0: Brilliant. Great to talk.
1: Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Bye. Take care now.